Hello and welcome to episode 66 of Teacher Notes, the podcast of the Music Teachers Association with me, Patrick Johns. And today we have three voices all talking about singing in various manifestations. In just over 10 minutes, Paul McCreesh will be here to talk about rehearsal techniques, ways into choral singing, and he'll be giving me the hard sell for early music, not that I need much persuasion. Before that, I'm very pleased to welcome to the podcast from Ex-Cathedra, Rebecca Ledgard and Sarah Batten. As well as being one of the UK's leading choirs, Ex-Cathedra has an extensive and thriving education wing to it, including many resources that, I hope, will be of use to us all. Rebecca, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. And Sarah, welcome to you as well. Thank you. Rebecca, could you just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background in music and in education? Yes, I have this wonderful job for a company called Excavedra. I'm the Director of Education and Participation and have been pretty much in this role since 2000. I lead the Education and Participation Programme, but my background is primary school teacher worked for many years, first as a primary school teacher and then for music services. I also trained at um, Birmingham Conservatoire as a singer. And now I lead the education and participation programme from Excavator with this amazing team of people that work on it with me. In the programme, we have largely it splits into four things. We have an academy of vocal music and that's for babies, parents, all the way up to 18. We have schools programme and that divides into Singing Playgrounds project, which has been running for many years, Singmaker, and our new project, Choirmaker. And then the next strand is Singing Medicine. That's our projects for patients, children, adults, families, staff in hospitals, so singing, well-being. And then the last one is Special Projects that we do with Excavedra. And that's where Excavedra, the the professional performing part of the organisation, and the Education Participation Programme come together in special projects for schools and communities. Wonderful, thank you. And Sarah, what about you? Most of the week, I am a false class primary music teacher for Brent Music Service, um, and I've been doing that for a few years. I trained as a secondary music teacher originally, but for Excathedra, I am the uh, digital creative assistant, um, which essentially means that I work on our digital programmes, helping to put them together. Um, and I'm also a vocal tutor in the uh, singing medicine team. So I'm often at um, hospitals singing with children, which is the best job in the whole world. Excellent. Thank you. And for the benefit of those who don't know, we're happily saying Excathedra this, Excathedra that. What is Excathedra? Basically, we're a choir based in Birmingham, started 52 years ago by Jeffrey Skidmore, still our founder, artistic director, conductor, and essentially a choir. It specialises in early music. We also have a baroque orchestra and we commission new works. We sing choral music and we're an Arts Council England National Portfolio Organisation based in Birmingham. We work across the UK. It's wonderful you have so much education stuff going on as well. So in a minute, I'm going to get you to tell me about Choir Maker. But firstly, could you just go into a bit more detail about the other schools projects you've got? Singing Playgrounds, Singing Connections and Sing Maker. What are they? How do they exist? Well, we started Singing Playgrounds in 2004. A big school in Sandwell uh, wanted to work in partnership with us with a youth music initiative. And it was all around trying to bring singing into the school community, but not part of classroom-led learning, to make it child-led. So we basically created Singing Playgrounds at that point, Ula Weber and I. Basically, it's a project where we train children to be the song leaders, we call them. So it's child-led play. And it's everything around that that's good. So well-being, development of personal social skills, 
It's the beginnings of music development, ensemble, teamwork, cooperation. It's a way of singing, being in the primary school as part of the community. But it's basically the basics of play and music making. We've trained thousands of children's song leaders. We've implemented the project in over a thousand schools. We've taken it to four continents. We've been extraordinarily lucky. It's been an amazing opportunity. And tell me about SingMaker. It's our kind of in the moment, absolutely joyous here and now singing events for children in large groups. It's repertoire that the team writes. So through Singing Playgrounds, the team was writing a lot of repertoire about how wonderful singing is and how it feels good and our friends together. And basically, this is where children come together in the concert hall or in their school hall and we get them singing here and now. So it's complete music from beginning to the end, door to door music. And we're teaching from the stage as a team like a band scenario, building things up in part songs and harmony and layers and things. And how many children would you have doing that at any one time? The biggest I think we've had is 5,000. Yeah, it's absolutely joyous. It's wonderful. I mean, we've written this repertoire to be used in this way, but we'll work with any number that we're given. I mean, the team absolutely love it and they're always writing new songs. We've got hundreds of songs that they've written. Great. Before I ask you how we can access these and how people can get involved. Tell me about Choir Maker. This is the new one, isn't it? Yeah. So this is really exciting. And this comes out of the opportunities that lockdown and the pandemic gave us in that we always wanted to be able to give schools more substantial, more useful, more helpful repertoire sets so that once we'd gone in and worked with the children and the teachers, we could leave them with more than a songbook and a CD. We could leave them with the ability to continue on the same repertoire and the teaching and learning activities. So once the pandemic came along and through Singing Medicine, we were able to make lots and lots of films, our skills around making films and making music accessible for people the other side of the screen meant that we started to think, how could we help teachers and pupils how could we inspire them through making audio visual resources and and through a web-based resource so we set about making 10 chapters using the repertoire mostly that we've written and thinking about the teacher on the other side of the screen and all the pupils on the other side of the screen so at the click of a button after they've had their workshop with us after they've had their teaching training session with us at the click of a button in the classroom, they can get us back on the screen, whether that's Simone Ribello, our percussionist, whether it's Kadali on his Cora, whether it's Dan conducting, whether it's Susie singing, they can have the team right back in the classroom. And that can be for top tips to do with how to conduct children, or it can be the warm ups directly with the pupils. So basically thinking how we team teach with teachers, how we can enable them from afar, and they've always still got us in the classroom. And the songs that you use, you said that they're songs that the team has written. Is there a sort of sense of progression through them or can you kind of pick and choose? How does it work? Uh, yeah, exactly. So there are 10 chapters um, in the programme. Each chapter um, is a song. They are all our own repertoire apart from one traditional song, which we've got our own arrangement of. And it takes you from very, very simple layered songs. So um, there's several partner songs um, where you learn two or three chunks of music and then put them together, um, which is a really good way to start singing in harmony. It goes all the way up to full part singing in three part core harmony. Um, so it's really developing the programme. 
I'm going to play you a tiny clip of the first song in the program and the last song in the program so you can hear how it develops. So this first song is called Be Not Afeared. It was written by Dan, um, who is one of the main uh, composers on the project. It's based on some text from Shakespeare's The Tempest and it's a partner song with three different layers in it. Um, So I'm going to play you a little bit of that. Be not afeared The world is full of noises Be Not Afeared. The last chapter in the programme is called Every Voice. This was also written by the same composer, but this one is in multiple parts and it requires much more skill, um, which will have been developed as the programme goes on. They sound great. Lovely, lovely songs. Now, of course, I have to ask, how much does it cost? Where can we get hold of it? And also, in what format does it arrive? Does it come digitally? Is it a book? Is it no one uses CDs now? But, you know, what will we get when we buy it? So the programme costs £100 per school or it's free for any schools in Birmingham because that's where we're based. And it's a completely digital resource. It's on our website, which is singingschools.co.uk. And on there, once you subscribe to the programme, there are videos which cover demos of all the songs and uh, warm-ups and tips for conducting them and lots of extensions as well, including some videos of Excathedra Choir performing um, tracks that are related to the song, so you get that context as well. There's also PDFs to download for teachers with all the notation of the songs and um, a document with um, how you can link it to the curriculum, taking into account the plan for music education, model music curriculum, the latest things to make those connections as well. We are also planning on doing some teacher training and maybe coming for school visits, all of those sorts of things as well. Those are add-ons to the digital programme, but there's scope to make it a really exciting programme for every school that gets involved. And one thing I did forget to ask you, the projects we were talking about earlier were for primary. This, based on listening to the songs as well, sounds like it's a bit bit of a stage up from that. So is this aimed at a particular year group? Yeah, this is aimed at the year seven cohort. So imagine they're singing through singing playgrounds in the primary school. At that point, when they cross over into secondary school, how do we keep them singing? Well, we hope that this will be the programme that inspires them and enables them to keep singing. Sounds fantastic. It's going to get loads and loads of kids singing. And of course, let's face it, singing is so important. Yes, we absolutely are passionate that singing should be at the heart of every school. It's really good for everybody's well-being. Everybody can sing. Everybody should be enabled to sing. It's a really important thing to have at the heart of a school. Thank you so much for telling me about Choir Baker. Rebecca, lovely to meet you. Thank you very much. And you too, Sarah. Thanks very much. 
Thank you to Rebecca Ledgard and Sarah Batten from Ex Cathedra. Now, sticking with the singing theme, I'm very pleased to welcome back to the podcast one of the most important, successful and loved conductors of the last 40 years, Paul McCreish. As well as leading Gabrielli Consort and Players, he spearheaded the highly successful Gabrielli Raw projects, bringing together thousands of young singers to perform some of the great choral works with professional instrumentalists. I asked him about rehearsal techniques for groups of young singers, about early music in schools, and about his current and next Gabrielli Raw projects, including details of how to get your students involved. Paul, welcome back to the podcast. It's a great pleasure to be here, Patrick. Now, we have a lot to get through today. I've got so much to ask you. In a moment, I'm going to get you to tell me about the Pretorius Concerts and the new project you've got going, Angels and Devils. But before that, I'd like to talk to you more generally about singing and specifically about choral music. Now, you and I, and of course, many, many music teachers know the wonderful world of choral music, whether through church or cathedral choirs, school choirs, choral societies and so on. But If we're honest, for the majority of school pupils in 2022, nationwide in all areas, it's not going to be a huge feature of their lives. How do you, how do we get kids interested in choral music, especially if they think it's really not for them? That's, of course, the million dollar question. I'm not sure I've got the perfect solution, but I'll come up with a few ideas. I think one of the big problems with choral music is the very beauty and the excellence of our great choirs that we hear all the time on the radio and everywhere else can sometimes be uh, a little bit frightening in, in the educational context, can't it? We're all slightly reluctant to try because we know that our school classroom is never going to sound like King's College or the 16 or whatever it happens to be, even Gabrielli's. So I think uh, you know one of the most important things is not to be put off by the apparent rarefied nature of choral music. I think one of the big keys is to start off with really great music that has simple components. So, for example, I think you'll remember a couple of years ago in COVID, we did this um, project called Bark to School, which is where we actually made backing tracks of some simple Bach cantata movements, where the voices actually sang very simple, harmonized hymn tunes effectively with instrumental background. And that was a really good point of access because the actual individual vocal parts were quite easily within the range of a good group of kids, even in a classroom situation. But the other thing that I think we should also think about as teachers is, and I've got a project in my mind, a sort of access project under the Gabrielli Roar umbrella on precisely this theme, which is germinating at the moment. But it might be sort of, you know, great unison music, uh, of which there's a surprising amount there. Obviously, it includes our friend the hymn tune again, folk tune again, but also just you know, great songs, the Jerusalems and, and, and other pieces of that kind, um, so that we can actually get kids singing choral music with very basic component parts. I think the other big thing that's important is a lot of schools have you know quite interesting activity uh, based on singing, and that might be sort of work, vocal workshops, and improvised music and all sorts of a cappella pop, all that sort of stuff, which is often run by very good animateurs. And that's great, but I think it's also fantastic that we can incorporate little snippets of the classical choral repertoire into that context. So singing isn't just about feel good or happy, clappy music, but it's also allowing us to open the door to this fantastic repertoire of more serious music. Not to give any status to, to either, we need music of every kind, but I think it's nice that the kids get access to music of every kind. That's all well and good, but a lot of the time, you can say feel-good music, pop repertoire is considerably simpler, more repetitive, and doesn't require notation to learn. Whereas the classical repertoire, generally speaking, does require a knowledge of notation to learn because it's 
you know, frankly, more complex. If students don't read music, that immediately then puts a huge barrier between them and the inverted commas classical repertoire. Because which teacher in their half hour choir rehearsal once a week has got time to teach more complex lines by ear? Patrick, as you know, I'm never going to presuppose to tell your teachers what they should do in detail. Um, you're all professionals and doing fantastic work. And the type of work that I do with mass choirs is often built on that core work that goes on in schools. But I do think it's slightly too simplistic to say classical music needs reading or is necessarily more complex. One of the things that I'm really interested in, and one of the reasons why we ban the sight reading test, incidentally, in raw projects, is that actually I think you learn to read music side by side or hand in hand with activity. And certainly when we do projects in the raw context, many of our kids have the most basic understanding of musical notation. That's to say, with the younger kids, it's pretty non-existent. But here's the great joy, and of course, you know this as teachers, that actually, if you put kids in a situation where they are learning how music works visually by using their voice orally with memory, then actually, it's amazing how quickly kids pick up the basics of musical notation. Now, obviously, there's a long way between using a score as a memory aid when you're singing a piece that you've learnt partly orally and actually being able to sight read a difficult piece of music for a cappella repertoire. But we have to sort of start at the beginning. And I think it's a little bit too easy to say classical music is complex and pop music is easy. Sure, often pop music is more memorable. And in that sense, maybe it's easier. But and even that I'm not entirely sure is true. You know, the great tunes are the great tunes. I think really the great skill would be to let kids learn about musical notation without them realise they're doing it. And I think it's possible to incorporate notation into good teaching. But even if the basic impetus is singing from memory and, and singing by oral repetition. That's a great answer. And I feel slightly bad for having asked the question now. <laughs> Well, I know. I think it's, I'm really glad you did ask the question because it's a really important thing. Um, and I hope, again, you know, I have such profound respect for teachers working at the coalface every day. I hope I'm not giving the impression that it's simpler than it is because it isn't. Uh, it isn't easy. But an analogy here, everybody knows that most kids are better at computers than most of their teachers. Or was that just me at my age? You know, um, young people have an immense facility for picking up quite complicated processes when they're dealing with computer programming and just in their daily work and interaction. And I think the same process can go on in music. And I think we shouldn't be scared about it. You know, I, I'm tired of people saying all the time that notation is a great barrier to musical expression. I don't think it's a barrier. I think it's an aid to musical expression. And a good teacher should be able to incorporate that. I've said to my students several times when they're claiming that they can't play a chord or whatever it is on the keyboard, pointing out how fast their fingers can type in their passwords or they can whiz yeah. around their phones sending messages or whatever. All I'm asking them to do is press three buttons at the same time, you know, and they can't. Yeah, but you've, you've hit such a good point there, and all teachers know this. I mean, so much of this is perception, isn't it? And, you know, one of the really scary things I find, possibly even an ounce of criticism here, not to music teachers themselves, but within the education world, is the perception that classical music is difficult. And it really isn't difficult if you've got the passion to teach the stuff. You know, we know that, uh, hopefully, as good music teachers. But I think we just have to bring that confidence into the classroom. You can do this. You will do this. Let's see how this works. Just all the basic tricks that we have to employ as teachers. Leading on directly from that, let's talk about early music, because early music doesn't really feature heavily 
in many schemes of work, I've not seen every school scheme of work, obviously, but I would be surprised if it featured in many key stage three schemes of work, doesn't feature at all at GCSE or A-level as far as I'm aware. Sell early music to me. I mean, I, I love it. You love it. But how do we bring it to life? How do we persuade teachers and students that early music is absolutely worth including? The first thing I'd say is, I think we shouldn't fetishize any particular form of music. You know, for me, sure, I made my reputation um, 15 years of recording with Dodger Gramophone, most of which was under that sort of slightly quaint uh, banner of early music. But to me, there's good music and bad music, and we won't discuss <laughs> which is which. But, you know, I think music of all periods has great potential in the classroom as well as in, in our lives. And I think it's a real pity that sometimes, you know, the early repertoire is sidelined very quickly. I think that might be partly because often we have a slightly orchestral view of musical expression, don't we? And I think that pervades the syllabuses in the classrooms to some degree. I mean, I always feel that even in an education context, there seems to be more effort frequently put into the local youth orchestra or even possibly at the school orchestra rather than the local youth choir or the local school choir. And I think that's changing and I'm really excited to see that changing. But obviously singing you know, and vocal music has this tremendously live point of access that you can start to engage with really good music with relatively low levels of expertise just through the natural process of singing. And I think early music there does offer potential there. We've talked, you know, hymn repertoire, we've talked about Pretorius repertoire, we've talked about simple chorale music. And I think also looking at how early music influences later musics, you know, those same chorales end up in the great pieces of Mahler and Brahms and everybody else. So to give kids the idea that there is a sort of continuity, particularly those that are doing GCSE and what have you. I think one of the challenges of early music, particularly with choral music, is polyphony, you know, which can be quite difficult. And then it doesn't help, you know, even if you do like your burden talents, you get a score off the thing and you suddenly see it needs, you know, two tenor parts with voices that can float effortlessly on top A's. Well, you know, I don't know what it's like in your schools, but that's not been my experience. Um, so, you know, one of the things I'm thinking about is maybe at some point I keep meaning to do this and that's something we could do together is perhaps to develop a resource of some simple polyphonic pieces which could be transposed or rearranged so that they're for more normal groups of voices, you know, maybe a couple of soprano parts and a bass part, uh, one middle part, maybe for changing voices or something, so that we could try and make it a little bit more user-friendly and start off with some of the simpler pieces. I think sometimes with early music, you know, it's viewed as a very specialist area, and I think it needn't be. Obviously, with instruments, again, it's something of a pity that the specialisation of early music can sometimes prevent teachers to connect, and I think that is a pity. Now, in reality, I guess you're not going to have cornet and sapphire ensembles in schools. Now, there's a challenge for us all, isn't it? But there is still great music there that can be played and be played stylistically on modern instruments, on brass instruments, on stringed instruments. Obviously, the recorder, big classic instrument of education, uh, which has a very natural place in early repertoire. So, again, I think it's trying to be as imaginative as we can. We're going to have another renaissance. That's what we need. Yep, always. <laughs> <laughs> um, can I ask you about the techniques that you use to rehearse large groups of young singers what preparation do you do for such rehearsals well i mean i'm going to uh, um, say something which is possibly could be able to play as arrogance i mean you know i've been a professional conductor now for 40 years so i can sort of run a three-hour rehearsal of a major work without preparing it and without probably looking at my watch. Um, my body clock is timed to say goodbye to everybody after two hours and 59 minutes because every session is three hours. But I mean, I look back on my early days as a conductor and I was completely hopeless. 
Um, you know, I didn't time rehearsals. So I think that's the first place to, to start. It's a really basic thing. And, and I'm sure teachers will automatically do this with lesson planning. And it's the same with rehearsing. It's not amateurish in any sense to say, right, I've got 30 minutes here. I'm going to do five minutes on this, 10 minutes on that learn a new piece of that. That's really, really good. And it gives a real sense of you being in control of the situation with your young people. I, mean, I don't need to tell you, obviously there's nothing more, the slightly panicky process when we're always behind schedule as conductors, it never uh, reflects well on our work. So we need to be, be careful there. The other thing is a more general thing, and it's how one actually engages in the process of rehearsing. For me, especially with young people, I am probably really well known as the great questioner. I rarely give instructions, but I actually, often with young people, I'll ask questions and it might be a really basic thing. So why do you think we might do that again? Or if we're going to do that again, if you were the conductor, what would you be listening out for? And this is really, really great because it gets young people to think about the process of rehearsing. So they are, in a sense, doing their own rehearsal. And I think that can be a really rewarding process. I often remember even, you know, some years ago, and I used to frequently work at the Symphony Orchestra at Cheatham School up in Manchester. And obviously, the kids there are very, very high level. They're specialist musicians. But again, you know, I would frequently stop the orchestra and say, why have I stopped? And there was this horrible silence because nobody wants to think about the process of making music. They just want to be told what to do. And I think that's a really bad way of conducting. And actually, if I'm really honest, and I'm, I don't often have the guts to do this, but sometimes even in a professional context, I would really like to be able to ask that same question. So, you know, why am I stopping? Come on, you know, in other words, unspoken, use your brains, you know what's wrong, put it right. And I think that process can be a really exciting way of teaching. And when you get to that wonderful moment particularly on, on the courses I do with Raw where we've got kids for four or five days and they're not specialist kids by a very very long way but they begin to understand the process of rehearsing and they're getting things right because they're thinking any way of rehearsing which gets young people to really think about the process of rehearsing and the process of making music has got to be a really good way of teaching and I recall my own days as a teacher you know Frequently, people would just write fingerings on a, I was a cellist, on a cello part or write bowings in. But we actually need to train young people to be able to do that work themselves, to think about the process of how you recreate music, how you practice. That to me is the hallmark of great teaching and that should be part of the rehearsal process. Yeah, and that also then gives kids much more of a sense of ownership or belonging to whichever ensemble they're part of, rather than turn up for half an hour, be a robot, go away. They say, well, I think that bit should be faster but you know, I have to do it this way because I've been told to. So that's really great advice. Thank you, Paul. Now, tell me about Angels and Devils. <laughs> yes, so this is a great opportunity, and I hope some of your fantastic teachers might be able to connect with to this. So next year's big Gabriele Raw summer course is going to be called Angels and Devils. And the reason it's going to be called Angels and Devils is because we're going to focus the course around Elgar's Dream of Garantius, which as many of you know, is a really challenging and really difficult piece. It's complicated, it's complex, it's actually emotionally and conceptually quite a tough piece to introduce to young people. And that's precisely why we're going to do it. If I've got one confidence, partly because I love the piece so much, it is actually in my ability to bring some of these great pieces of the core repertoire into the sort of world of young people. And we thought we'd actually call it Angels and Devils because obviously Angels and Devils have a big part in that story. And we'll actually be, as well as Elgar's great masterpiece, which is a fantastic piece to do, we're also going to incorporate other music, which reflects on the idea of Elgar's story, the idea of death, the idea of the fact that we're on this planet for a relatively short time. 
the forces of good and evil, all the stuff which is there in, in literature and in religion and all the great forms of art. So that's a project which will be taking place. I'm really looking forward to it. I thought long and hard and talked to a lot of teachers about whether this was an appropriate piece to bring into the orbit of young people. Their feeling was that it was such a great piece of music and such an iconic piece of music. And those that had worked with young people on it felt that it could be a really successful thing. And also, if I could flatter myself, they were also actually very confident that I could bring it into their world and make it a fantastic piece. So, you know, we've done all these great pieces over the years. We've done the War Equum, we've done Creation, we've done Elijah a couple of times. And this is going to be the next piece we do. And we've got a fantastic team of soloists who are joining us, as always, going to do performances in uh, Ely Cathedral. I'm hoping we'll attract not just our regular choral partners who join us on these projects but new school choirs youth choirs of all sorts and also for the second time now in in, in Gabriel Roy it is possible for young individuals to actually sign up individually to take part in this project we have all the parcel arrangements um, cared for professionally um, so we can actually take uh, applications from individual young singers if it's something they'd like to do where do teachers or individuals sign up for that the best thing is just to go onto the Gabrielli website and there's a whole Gabrielli Raw section there which will give you points of contact. We have a fantastic Raw manager who's called Anna Winston and she is a great friend of teachers but also parents and individuals who want to take part. So, um, you know, we really try and, and help schools be part of this. We realise it takes a commitment for a school to say they'll do this type of work. But so often um, when we have young people come there, even though you do this sort of thing for the first time, they're completely blown off their feet. And that obviously for me as a conductor is just an amazing and exhilarating experience. And I can tell you that even though I come out of the raw courses more tired than I ever am in my life, they're the weeks that I most look forward to in my year. That's good to hear. And the current project, the Pretorius project, the concerts are happening very, very soon, aren't they? I am so thrilled with this. And thank you to all the fantastic teachers and schools who've opted to be part of this. We are doing this program around Pretorius. It's in eight major cathedrals all up and down the country. Um, We set this project hoping that we might get a thousand young people or possibly 1,500 if we were lucky. And at the moment, we're looking at between three and a half and 4,000 young people who are taking part in this amazing project, absolutely designed for access. A lot of the kids will be taking part in, in their first major sort of classical concert. And we are just so thrilled and excited and so grateful, actually, that so many of our partners have committed to do this project. And we will absolutely be running this sort of event on a regular basis because we want to get young people into that process as early as possible so that they can feed and help schools develop their own choral traditions and to develop their own school choirs and this sense of partnership is what it's all about wonderful paul it's always great to speak to you thank you so much great pleasure patrick thanks so much bye-bye thank you to paul mccreesh and of course to rebecca ledgard and sarah batten from ex cathedra do check out the gabrielli website for details of angels and devils by the way gabrielli.com that's gabrielli with one l of course and do try to get along to one of Gabrielli Raw's Pretorius concerts. They'll be in the cathedrals and minsters of Portsmouth, 29th of November, Canterbury on the 30th of November, Peterborough on the 1st of December, Ely on the 2nd of December, York on the 3rd, Hull on the 4th, Coventry on the 5th, and Westminster in the new year on the 10th of January. If you want to know a bit more about the Pretorius project, then do have a listen to episode 50 of Teaching Notes, in which Paul and Simon Toyne give it large, as was the expression about... 30 years ago. Anyway, thank you to you for listening and for supporting this podcast. Please do share it with friends, colleagues and anyone with a passion for music education. And please do head over to the MTA's website, musicteachers.org, to find out more about the MTA and to join if you're not already a member. It costs less than a sandwich a week and you get so much. The Facebook staff room, the conference, the webinars and the Termini magazine ensemble, full of fascinating articles and resources. 
And talking of webinars, stick these two in your diary. Monday, the 7th of November at 5pm, there's the next Music Teacher Monday session led by James Manwaring this month. And then on Wednesday, the 16th of November, again at 5 o'clock, there's the Termly Early Career Teacher Support Session led by MTA committee members Mark Aitchison and Margaret Edwards. If you're an ECT, then I urge you to join this session. And remember that MTA membership is free for you. Details of both these sessions are on the MTA online events page. And that's it for this edition of Teaching Notes, the podcast of the Music Teachers Association. If you'd like to take part in a future episode of this podcast, please do get in touch. The email address is podcast at musicteachers.org or send me a message on Facebook or via Twitter at Mr. Patrick Johns. But for now, until the next episode, goodbye. Goodbye.